On today's episode, Radio Sock Talks Mental Health with the editor and contributing authors of Book Hub Publishing Galway's Mental Health for Millennials Volume 4, which was released on November 20th of this year and is available at their website and on Amazon as an ebook. Keep listening for our discussion with them and don't forget to follow and like us on Instagram and Facebook to keep up to date with all of our society events and to catch new shows as they come out. Lisa, how are you doing? Hi, Hi, Oshin. Hi, Oshin, how are you doing? A belated happy birthday to you as well, Oshin. Thank you. Thank you, John. Hi, Lisa, Liam. Hi, how's it going? Good, good. Niall, Susan, how are we doing? Hello, everybody. Hi, Lisa. Hi, guys. Hola, España. Hola, Irlanda. How are you, Liam? How are things? Oh, yeah. So thanks for the invitation to come along and thanks well, for the invitation for some of the um, the book hub publishing pieces connect people to. No bother. Well, thank you for joining. Like, it, I really do appreciate it. Like, we, like, when Chris Sherlock told me about this, I was like, we need to do this. This is class. Hey, Chris. How are you, Sheen? Hello, gang. Hiya, Niall. Hiya, Sue. Hiya, Lisa. Hiya, John. Hiya, Liam. How's it going? How are you doing? How are you doing? Did you do it in a while for your birthday, Oshin? I launched a book. And, oh, that's, uh... that's, that's as good a thing as that, yeah. <laughs> And uh, yeah, no, just very quiet at home with my kids and uh, and my wife. Uh, just I took the day off and I launched a book. So very productive day off. Jesus, I wish I could have some of those. What books did you publish? Um, so it's my third book. I published it with Book Hub Publishing. It's the Bin Man's Guide to Amazing Customer Service. So the third in a series. Uh, a bit different because of the COVID. So I mean, there's no book launch, no wine, no um, no big crowds oh. in a bookshop. Yeah. Uh, but that's no reason not to put it out there. That's, you yeah. know, I think there's, there, there's enough stops. There's enough things that have been put on hold, I think. Exactly. Yeah, people need the content. Like it's, you know, even without all the, the glitz and the glam of it, like people still appreciate it. Like, because that's, that's the thing. Like when, when all the TV shows stopped, you know, putting out their productions because they couldn't record anything, like everyone felt it and it, it was it's just nice to have some sliver of normality like the toy show last night was just the whole thing all lads i was roaring the poor yeah. girl from from galway lads broke my heart yeah i know it was just really good it was really positive and i think exactly yeah like the fact that like there was little snow emphasis on toys at all which was brilliant it was all about the kids yeah. so i mean exactly like you can see so much there because number one the logistics of i suppose you know having like playstation fives and stuff like that that cannot be got so so, yeah. you know, there was such more emphasis on just the positive view of kids. And um, yeah, I mean, there was, and of course, uh, Ryan's little um, Fanta faux oh. pas as well, which is brilliant. <laughs> and he handled it with such grace as well. Yeah. He didn't bat an eyelid, but he did kind of look to the camera at one point and kind of go, shit, did I say oh, that? Oh, I did say that. <laughs> it was Are one you? of my favourites. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it was an exceptional one. And I think, I, mean, I think they could learn a lot from that. You know, I mean, if they were to kind of keep that emphasis on the kids rather than the toys, because look, I don't know. I mean, I suppose anyone here who has kids, if they're, you know, if they're turning on um, YouTube or anything like that, like the kids are watching toys stuff the whole time anyway. So mm. that might be a kind of a break from the norm. <clears throat> maybe just to kind of keep that you know, focus on the kids maybe for the for the future years, I think, because it was much more positive and it was much more about the kids and about exactly. the actual toys. Yeah. So um yeah, no, hundred percent. Absolutely. What did you think about the toy show last night? I thought I thought Ryan did a did a really good job considering there was nobody there. I love yeah. the fact that he dropped the uh, F bomb on RT. <laughs> that was my highlight of the show. <laughs> yeah, he like he handled it with grace and fairness to him like he did. He moved on. He moved on very quickly. He's, um... I'd say he's exhausted today because he was pretty hyper doing it last night, I suppose, trying to make sure that he came across really 
bubbly and you know what I'd say away from it. Oh god, yeah. It was very positive though, like 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 um what Oshin and John were saying, like it was very much about just the kids and about the ex- experience of just everyone being together. And I thought the virtual the virtual telly stuff was brilliant. Yeah, like, I think it's the way it's the way we're we're moving now, and it's going to be very hard to see, you know. And we wrote about this actually in the Mental Health Millennials book, but it's going to be very hard to see how things go back. I'm not going to say normal, but how they go back to the way that they were before in terms yeah. of engagement. I think, I think people's expectations. Like there's a thing in psychology, you know, that all of you will know that within 28 to 31 days, you can modify behavior pretty much in most areas. We've now had six months of modified behavior. And uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how people go back. I mean, everyone here other than Oshin, I think is in, uh, is in Galway at the moment or around Galway. And, you know, no, that John's slanted, oh, John's on a clone, yeah, sorry. That slanted driving rain that you get in Galway, you know, will people queue up outside shops for 20 minutes, half an hour? You know, I they will know. for pennies. I, I believe, I believe they will. Do. I believe they will do. I, I, I seen a different situation here because I was very um, glued to the Irish situation and also glued to what's going on where I am in Spain. So, I mean, we were, there was a point in, in March where I was 60 days uh, without leaving my house. Like didn't right. set foot outside the, and it's an apartment. It's not like I have a garden. I have a roof. I took up skipping. I learned to go from zero mm-hmm. skips to a hundred skips. Uh, that was my. Uh, but believe me, the habit changed as soon as I could go out. <laughs> yeah. I, was, yeah. I was gone. But but I mean, what what is there? Look, um, I went out yesterday to a restaurant here. Uh, it was my first time eating out in over a year, and I had this big fear. Uh, I just you know that. Like the waiter was coming up on top of me, take my order. And I was like, go away. <laughs> and he, he was just doing his job. He's being nice because over here, we wear a mask everywhere since mm. March. You can, if you go outside your door without a mask, uh, it's, it's a big no-no. Uh, you, it's just, you know, you don't have to wait for the police. Other people will kind of stare you down. <laughs> okay. And it's just the numbers here. I mean, at the moment, we're back up at 350 a day dying. It's just a different world. But during the summer, I did see the behavior just go back to, okay, great. Let's go out. Let's. Yeah, but Oshin, I'll I'll tell you something interesting. Um, Two of our book club publishing authors have now either had COVID or have COVID at the moment. I'm not going to say who they are. The first one documented it herself. Any of you can look at that if you go online. The second one, it's really quite, it's quite interesting and quite sad at the same time. She completely self-isolated in lockdown one with a little dog. In lockdown two, just recently now, she got an invitation to meet someone. And the person that she met was a person of, what you might assume, a person of responsibility. She went and met the person, spent an hour in her company, uh, did what they needed to do, went home. Three days later, got that infamous HSE text that nobody wants to get, that you were in direct contact with somebody. She rang the person that she had met three days earlier. The person said that, Uh, She'd had a test herself for COVID and hadn't been feeling 100%. Uh, The book hub publishing author ended up in hospital at 4am, very, very sick, and has been really sick since. Uh, And just before I came online here, I was reading a thread from somebody else who, and John, you'll be familiar with this, was 
not quite denying, but was looking for hard science and wanted names of people in Ireland that had definitely, in inverted commas, got COVID. So it's, it's a, you know, in the context of all the stuff that we're all writing about, about wellness and well-being, this is, this is a really interesting debate, the way it's taking us all off in different mm. directions. Yeah, yeah, even, I suppose, even my own chapter in the, um, um, in the current books at all this kind of notion of fake news and stuff and I wouldn't mind but like I wrote it before COVID happened and yeah. now it's like it's coming it's happening now you know and, and in a grand scale like I mean I suppose I was kind of taking the the uh, I suppose very much kind of the racism side of things and people were putting out fake news about you know great replacements and all this other chat yeah. that, that that's kind of mm. abounding the, the internet at the moment but I didn't think you know like it was in first gear at that stage but now However, where we are, whatever about eight months down the line with COVID, it's just gone from first gear to fifth, like just oh, like that rapidly. Yeah, and it's scary, you know, how yeah. quickly people kind of, I suppose, um, identify with it, and they like this kind of easy, these easy answers, you know. Um, so yeah, it's 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 it's, it's fascinating, uh, it really is. So I suppose it was it's kind of timely, but it wasn't planned. <laughs> Yeah. Or maybe some conspiracy theory out there will think that we're all in on it. And that was, it was part, I was kind of foreshadowing all of this, maybe. Yeah. So maybe. Niall, on that point, I'm going to go to you there. As, <laughs> as a small company, how has Buffalo kind of coped with the pandemic? Like, it's obviously very disruptive to everyone's lives, but how has it kind of affected you with just the everyday running of the company? Yeah, it's been very interesting. I mean, uh, Chris will smile when he hears my answer now, but Chris <laughs> diligently asking me, practically every day where is the paperback of mental health for millennials volume four that we've just done and the answer to it is we got in our boxes of books yesterday hip okay. hip hooray hip hip hooray except it was the wrong book oh here yeah. oh. So, oh, no. so i'm now getting the right book back again and at least i'll answer your question what what, what cost us ten thousand euros to print last november is now costing us 14,000 euros to print this November, right? Right. Uh, you cannot get quality paper stock. You can't get onto printers because they're all printing COVID materials for governments and government departments okay. and huge um, factories and uh, businesses like Microsoft and Boston Scientific and whatever else. On the one hand, we can't get the materials. But on the other hand, we have never had as many people contacting us, telling us that they want to write blogs or write books or write their stories. Or So it's trying to, I suppose, balance up both sets of, of expectations. Amazon, as you all know, have done hugely well out of all this. Probably the company that has done the best is Traction. Uh, but that hasn't translated down to publishers or to authors because they've been marginalized out even more in that process. Yeah, so it's, 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 it's been an interesting process. We're putting everything up online, of course, and we've mm-hmm. put the latest book up as an ebook straight away and it's yeah, there. The book is on yeah. Amazon, like. Oh, yeah, it's been on Amazon since, since we all completed. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and the book is now on the way back to us again. But it's just uh, the quality, I suppose, uh, and the auditing and the pipe chains have all changed very dramatically out of our hands in a way where we were in control you know very much since march it's just changed you know they 
companies want to speak to big players big companies and you're way way down the list at a time like where the whole marching theme I suppose is support local business support local business do you feel because of all of this that like you said you're being pushed down really to the to the bottom feeders like do you feel local businesses should be given more support than just the the constant peppering of oh well you know during this you need to support local businesses like do you think it's more all talk than actual implementing strategies like yeah companies all Always, will always request more physical help um, yeah. and I suppose we're no different than that I suppose we're very lucky in that we work and the number of the people are on Zoom today with you we work with very good people and mm. very kind people and very generous people of their time and of their expertise um, our real challenge in the last six months has been around companies that we did deal with in the pipe chain simply not been interested unless you have a staff of 100 or whatever it might be and I can totally understand that everybody in the chain has been pushed. So, for yeah. example, if if you were paying 10,000 for a job and if a big company in Galway comes along and says, hang on, we now need 150,000. I can totally understand why people in that pipe chain would would go to the bigger companies. I suppose when one takes a long term view, it changes. And Oshin's uh, brother, Gene, has written fairly extensively about disruptive business and what happens in disruptive business um, life cycles. And we're really seeing that now that we, we have to look. So for example, we're now looking to Audible in a way that we didn't look before, right? Because again, it's not a physical mm. product. So we've we started to put eBooks up, which we didn't really do before too much. So I suppose though, as well as that, we're very lucky that the independent bookstores, um, I suppose they've been hit very drastically as well with everything that's going on. So. Um, building up more partnerships with them has been terrific as in you're, you are still supporting locals so you know it, it works twofold which has been very good as well you know to be able to expand the the independent bookstores and not give to the major ones as well which I think we've pushed more so as well do you see in the future book hub being very much driven towards more ebook availability yeah no no we don't we'll we'll emerge out of this the crisis and there will be a different way of doing things. I mean, I, the, one of the ironic things in all this is that people are buying more physical books than they were this time last year, obviously. They're not jumping as much to ebooks. Now, total respect to Oshin, who's now an Amazon Kindle number one bestseller. So uh, heads up on that one. But, you know, people are moving back to physical books as well in a way that they weren't. So, no, what we need to do is we need, as a company, like all companies, we need to diversify, I suppose, yeah. our pipe chain in a way that we didn't. We had established really good. It took us 11 years to build up the context that we had all over Europe. Mm -hmm. And, you know, loyalty in business is a very strange thing. Lisa, can I just say, I was talking to Niall before we came on and when he was on about Audible, there, he's actually offered him and all his authors that he's going to do the whole audio book sequence. Not right, Niall. You're going to do the full audio. You're going to read every book from start to finish and put it up. A difficulty we have is, we have, as you know, we have excellent contacts like yourself. The problem is we can't get into studio to record Audible mm -hmm. at the moment because of the restrictions on the radio stations. And that's what I'm saying, you know, that the way in which one does business is going to have to change, change. quite radically. I could obviously go under my pillow and under my duvet and we could record. And one of our friends is doing that all the time for a national yeah. radio station, right? Because it apparently the sound is okay like that. But I don't want to get 
15 people all under their duvets all trying to record, you know, their own chapters. It just a logistical work. nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. So we need to try and, and do things professionally and do things in a way that's cost effective. It's, it's got to be cost effective. The Mental Health for Millennials book series, all seven of them, Book Hub Publishing is doing that gratis. We're giving our time, as are all the contributors giving their time free. But there's only so much you can do free. Everything is costing you 1.5 times what it was. Yeah. Just mentioning the book, what inspired you to create this series? Like, this is volume four. Like, yeah. what what was the inspiration? Is is, is that your background? Yeah, so, so um, Dr. Phil Noon in NUIG, I've worked with her extensively over the last number of years. And Phil and I had coffee a few years ago and we were looking at a series that we wanted to do because we write quite a lot of stuff outside of this. Mm. And uh, yeah, we just chose this. We had some very good people in mind, all of whom are sitting on Zoom at the moment. Um, and the idea is that we do seven over a period of seven years and we'd move away from just including academics and scholars and we would open it out to what we felt were authentic voices and people that had interesting stories. and. If I could give an example of that, maybe Chris would talk for a few minutes about his story, because I think Chris's chapter and one other chapter in this volume really speak to what the the spirit of the series is. Yeah, it, it's an amazing um, series all around. I've said this from the very get-go, because I've been with Niall and Susan and Phil promoting uh, mental health millennials for a while. And yeah. when I was asked by Niall last year to take part, we happened to be talking about the topic of bullying and it just blossomed from there. So um, I wrote down my story, um, very challenging because it is based on a personal story of bullying. And it's the chapter that I've written for volume four is basically two scenarios of where I was bullied at school. And this would have been during the secondary school process. So it would be your 13, 14 years transition. You're starting a new school and in secondary school here in Ireland, you, you do the move from primary to secondary in the school system. So it's important for people to know that sometimes you can bring friends with you and some people you won't have your existing friends. You'll have to make new ones. So it can yeah. be very scary. So dealing with all that, the new change of a building, new teachers, new books, new subjects, new everything. This was a challenge to begin with for me because I was such a shy kid growing up anyway. And I would have friends, of course, but there'd be a small group. So when I started the school, I was in the school for about three weeks. And during this three weeks, there was days that were pure hell. Like the first incident was I was on the phone talking to my mum and I would ring her in the afternoon just for a quick chat to let her know how things were going. And all of a sudden these two lads came up behind me out of nowhere and they just basically grabbed my phone off me, threw it across the green where we were and pinned me up against the wall with my hand, with their hand on my throat. And I was just like paralyzed with shock, fear and everything else that could go with it. You think in the moment that oh, I, need, I need to do something here. I need to get out of this. But you just go, you just freeze. It's very hard to describe in the, in the sense that you can't do nothing. You feel like you're being a targeted. And I was named called before all this for, by a few people in the school. But this is where the physicality went. And it was it was it was a bigger shock to me than anyone else, I think, at the time, because I didn't say anything to anybody. Mm -hmm. I bottled it up for so long. And eventually I squirmed out of this particular situation and got back and got back to my day let's say but I didn't say anything I just got even more shy and more 
retracted into a corner, let's say. And then it was a, a couple of days later, um, I was going up to the fourth floor of a very old building um, where the school is based. And on the fourth floor, there was these two lads just kind of outside um, the steps. So if you can picture a long corridor with two big double doors, and as you go up these steps, the doors are right there. And on these steps were two lads and they were there just sitting around doing nothing. And they must have known that I would go to this class regularly because they these guys I had known locally and they were waiting there for ages. And when I went, went to go through the two doors, they kept kind of like name calling me, pushing me away and said, you know, you need money to gain entry. You know, you're not getting past here. And it was just what seemed like, you know, nothing there I just kept ignoring it and kept pushing on but eventually they pushed me back to the wall they cut my polo shirt which was a part of the school uniform at the time they pulled it over my head and pushed me down a flight of stairs now this old type building had steep steps mm-hmm. so it was it was it was the case that where I was thrown down I could feel all my side aching that particular day but it was only the next day that I seen I was black and blue. But in the moment, what was more worrying was from my elbow to my wrist, I had scrapes and scratches and I had a, a deep cut that was pumping, bleeding. And it was just that f- frame of mind where when it happened, I just got up, I rent, rent the, the office and I seeked help straight away mm-hmm. and I got stitched up. The nurse was stitching me up and she said, you're very lucky it wasn't worse. You know, you could have hit your head wrong, you know, whatever the case may be. And I just didn't say nothing. I was asked in the moment, you know, what had happened. Um, But I just put it down to being clumsy, you know, that I just fell over. I just tripped down the stairs. So it it took a bit of time for me to comprehend all this. And um, I was taken out of school following this for a few days just to heal and kind of get sorted, get my bearings. But I remember going back to the school gates this particular Monday morning after. And I just froze when I got to the gates. Now, I mean to say the blood drained from me. I just went cold and I just burst out in hysterics crying. And I just said to my mum, I said, I can't go in. I can't go in. And this was the start of where I started to actually say something. So I was brought home uh, and explained everything. We had chats with the school, so forth. And when we got through the school scenario, we went to see a GP. We got the GP to basically help me, you know, get back to school in the sense of getting counselling, getting a bit sorted, you know. Mm-hmm. And the meanwhile, the school in the background were trying to look after me health wise, mentally and physically. I had the school trying to get me back to get my education going. But I became so feared with anxiety and everything else that surrounds it. Like I was I, I was paralyzed with fear nearly all the time because at that moment I had said who these bullies were to the, the administration, to the principal, to anyone that would be involved in this kind of process. And I just said, look, I said, I'm afraid to go back to school now because I'm going to be the target. And this was the phrase of con- the consequences of being a rat. And this is what you get made out to be. So I knew the bullying was either going to get a lot worse or else that, you know, what else would happen? There was no other way. That was what I was thinking. It's not going to get better. It can only get worse. So I just remember going down one day to taking a walk after all this, comprehending what was going to be happening. A million miles a minute, my brain was thinking the good, the bad and everything else, you know. But I remember looking over a canal and I was like, I need to end my life. 
um, I really need to just leave this world and be done with it because what are my parents going to be thinking? You know, I'm not going to be able to get a job. I have no education. It's it's done. My life is done. Um, but luckily, there was a, a lad that I know from the local area. He came up and he saw me there. He was on the way home. And uh, luckily, the route is down the way home to our own house. We live in the same estate. And he yeah. said, yeah. He says, what have you been up to? You know, what do you want to do for the evening? He said, do you want to play video games? And I said, yeah. So it was a simple gesture of kindness and a distraction to bring you back to what you what to my moment where I'm like actually I can get by this if I just pace myself yeah well Chris like I'd know I'd know you from flirt but I think I can speak for both Liam and I when I say like hearing it there like I'm choked up but when I read that for the first time it was like I just like the first thing that came to my head was this lad is probably one of the most bubbly and lovely and just positive individuals I've ever met in my whole life. And like, how do you go from that to like, it's it, it must have been some mission to have to like put all of that behind you. And like, you're really a success story. And now you're a presenter on Flirt. Like, how did you how did you get involved in in radio? Surge of confidence must have had to come for you to go. Yeah, I'm. I, I want to I want to do this. Yeah, well, thanks very much, Lisa. I appreciate those kind words. It's just in the moment when it, this was all happening, I focused on my hobbies because there was mm-hmm. nothing else I could do. I didn't want to go back to school. They were trying to get me back. There was all that ring morale of stuff, let's say. But I, I just threw myself in to doing what I loved. And um, at home now for some people listening, especially parents or anyone that is a parent or whatever, st- yes, at please. home. <laughs> sitting at home doing nothing watching television uh for a, a you know a 13 14 year old kid isn't necessarily good i'll be honest with you it isn't good but because i was left to my own devices and i started learning from the internet myself i just yeah. knew i kind of had a built within me to kind of go looking up stuff and i was always kind of interested in one thing or another but Getting into radio was one of the biggest things because I would watch TV. I would listen to the radio. The radio was always on in our household, usually as it was the telly. And I would watch these broadcasters and think, well, they've got a great job. They're there entertaining people. I want to be able to do that. And I just kind of kept watching them, what they were doing. And I just fell in love with the whole broadcasting thing. Mm -hmm. And I said, this is what I want to do. This is my passion. I love chatting to people anyway. At the moment, there and then, I didn't think I could do it because I couldn't trust people for a long time. But with the help of, um, you know, endless counselling, you know, child psychologists to regular counselling and the help of family and friends, it just it just worked. And there was a there was a company here called uh, Galway City Partnership and they train you in getting back to work with anyone that's had a rocky background, whether it be in in the good or the bad areas. They mm. will bring you in and chat to you and they will help you get CVs. They'll help you, you know. Basically do your best and learn from your your pros and your cons, whatever. And that is the main thing. So we kind of done little bits like that. But I just went into Flirt FM, kind of like what you would have done, Lisa and, and Liam, just go straight in and go, I'm eager to start broadcasting and wreck Paula's head and Owen's head and, and Alan at the time that was there when I started and go hell for leather and just start learning broadcasting. Yeah. And how, like, what has been the response to, like, it's very hard to share such 
deeply personal things like that and I know you all have what is what has the response been like to all of you about your your relevant chapters because it's not easy sharing to basically strangers and putting it out into the world like what has your experience been and have you got feedback because it been mixed good like positive what has it been yeah well, if I just answer just a bit of that first before the, everybody comes in Chris kind of skirted over his story very quickly because it's obviously a very complex story but from our point of view, from Book Hub, one of the reasons why we wanted to publish Chris in this particular volume is one of the things I liked about Chris going back to volume one mm -hmm. is that whenever he had anyone on his show, he always did research first. So he wouldn't just let people arrive in and chat. He would want to see the book. He would want to see chapters. He would want to see publications. He would go to the trouble of reading them. He'd take notes. And then when we all came in, we all got asked, you know, very, very real and pertinent questions. Um, and in that, I kind of got to get to know Chris a bit more on a personal level. So I knew his story. But as, as an editor, you know, reading his work and editing his work, um, along with Dr. Noon and I think Dr. Housel might have helped him as well. Um, you know, it's really courageous. Like what he wrote is very courageous. And, and like the result of his bullying was that he actually left school. And I don't think that should be left aside from his story because it's massive. To feel that you can't go into school and be in a safe place is just, you know, a very, very difficult thing. So, and that doesn't mean that you're not smart. It doesn't mean that you're not intelligent. It doesn't mean that you can't achieve in life at the time and achieve later. So when you asked me at the start, you know, why, why are we doing what we're doing? It's exactly for stories like Chris's and Jan's, who's in the book as well, and Louise's, that giving sort of that authentic voice in. So... We've had tremendous feedback with people, you know, saying, oh, wow, I've read such and such as chapter and it was really good. And I didn't know that about the person and I didn't know you could do this or that. So it's not just the telling of a person's story, but it's sort of the instructions that come with that, that other people reading. Uh, and I think probably all of us here, all of us have been bullied at some stage. All of us have felt down at some stage, you know, so it, it's that it's the honesty in the mental health for millennials. I think that's really important. Yeah. What impact do you think this book is going to have on, like, it has a very big audience, like anyone, yeah. like teenagers up and young people, like it's very important, it's very prevalent, the, the conversation of mental health. And what impact do you think it's going to have? The fact that it is so personal, it's not just, you know, like a clinical look on something. It Like the likes of Chris's story brings it very much down to a person, you know, that it, it happens. Like it's not just all these theories and all these... Um, statistic like a statistic versus a story and yeah i think both are important one, you know. yeah both are important and you're in university yourself there and in a university mm. location um you know all of us here looking at the group above have all studied to different levels and we've all been forced to read sterile scholarly academic textbooks and they're all really useful Very but there's nothing as instructive as somebody's personal story. In fact, Oshin has written about this himself in, in Lens around the art of storytelling and how important it is, how important people's stories are. So um, we, what we found with the, with the series is that with each one that comes out, it gets bigger. So there was 20 yeah. contributors in this one and the audience is becoming bigger. So now that we've gone on to, you know, we've gone into eBooks, um, it, it gives us a much, much bigger platform. And in fact, as Chris said, we're going to do an audible with this book um, down the line. And we're also putting it on Ingram Spark, which brings us distributed into, into the North American market oh, in wow. a way that we weren't before. So, yeah, you know, 
hopefully people will will read the different chapters and 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 will find them engaging yeah this <laughs> book is really a juggernaut of things because it's a book series that's that's up there for the high academic i believe this should be in schools because there's there is personal stories and no one can learn anything better from a personal experience you know because there's always something to relate to whether it be anxiety depression and the struggles of death grief and you know even the the sexual intercourse things for some people that would find hard or there would there would also be the um, the whole aspect of you know dealing with the numbers and stats like we can read stats till the cows come home Mm -hmm. now even though mental health millennials features this it's it's the personal experiences and the the basic theory that we can adapt from, if that makes sense. It, yeah. it, 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 all, it all goes hand in hand and each chapter and each uh, topic in it and even the themes of each book, they're, they're all things you can dip in and out of. You know, it's, it's not as if you have to read a cover to cover. You could read one or two chapters from volume two and then go back to volume one there's not a, there's that one story that will speak out and you'll relate to and then if you read something else again it's the same thing it's a continuous thing and it's a, it's a big importance i think for not just the educational system but just for for its readers of mental health because we need to look after our mental health a lot more in this day and age yeah that was actually going to be one of my questions do you, like i'm going to put this to all of you do you think enough emphasis was put on mental mental well-being and mental health in education in young people i would um i'm going to take this one if that's okay yeah um it's it, it's improving it is getting a lot better um i suppose for myself um i would work um in the uh, i suppose you work um milieu as well and i'm seeing more of it more and more of it emerge and i'm seeing it being led by the young people themselves um which is great because you know it gives them a lot more ownership of what is happening um for instance um i suppose not to deviate too much from the books but um uh, i like we work closely with um a youth center in um navin um called involved and they did a fantastic program there last year uh, called um no shame and it was around uh, i suppose empowering people with the ability to come out and talk and kind of you know not being afraid of it not to have it as a taboo thing and it was completely led by them as well you know so I suppose the adults that were involved were kind of there I suppose in the background helping get things moving but again it is very much there um, and it's becoming very much part of the day-to-day conversation now as well it's not something um, that is you know hushed or you know not talked about or even like you know people are open about the words that they're using as well mm-hmm. like we don't hear oh he had a problem with his nerves that kind of stuff anymore we hear the actual thing happening you know we hear yeah. he was he was he or she was suffering with depression he or she has anxiety or and you know so the language is getting clearer there's a there's more bravery around it um, and a lot more openness as well so yeah I think it's definitely within you know and I think education the education system and all of these other kind of facets are kind of feeding that for the better as well so um yeah I would say definitely yeah that there is a notable difference over the last few years yeah the stigma is definitely decreasing I would agree oh yeah the stigma is definitely it's far more acceptable to talk about it and for the younger age group I think coming through you see even in schools now in secondary schools well-being is on the curriculum where that wouldn't have been heard of before Um, and and making them more aware of 
if you are in trouble and if you are if you have issues that there are places to go so that young people know that okay in the same way that if there's something wrong with your arm or your leg or whatever and you need help with that they know now that the services are there and they know that it's okay to talk to their friends I think which is a huge thing before it was very much kind of like what you were saying John it was if there was an issue it was always kept within the four walls of the home whereas now I think the younger generation particularly are better at telling it to each other so that they support each other as well so I think definitely the stigma from it is is definitely moving it's slow absolutely because I, I still think um, more so with the older generation that there is still that stigma from going back years ago to do with so many different social I suppose aspects that influence that like you know the church and whatever else and um, whereas now I think definitely the younger group coming through um, you would hope yeah good what like on a personal standpoint would mental well-being mean to you because i know that's the main theme of this particular volume what do you yeah. think mental, mental well-being looks like so mental it's changed yeah it, it's changed hugely i mean there, there's a as susan says there's an there's an easier articulation of mental health and wellness and well-being but that doesn't necessarily mean that it plays out um well on an individual basis so never evolving yeah, all of us here, I'm sure, are using multi-social media platforms. And you've got this constant filtering of life across, you know, and I, I do it myself before the lads come in and tell me that I do it. Um, <laughs> but I'm trying to be a little bit more more, more, more honest in, 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 you know, if I post something, I don't put five filters on it and I try to, you know, have it as it is. There, there, there's an expectation that we all put up happy stuff and positive stuff. And, and we do promote um, a positive agenda uh, with book club publishing but i think wellness and well-being looks like being able to get out of bed in the morning having a sense of hope um and having a sense i suppose of what's called a futurist identity and yeah. a future identity is an incredibly complex thing given the covid19 pandemic because nobody knows what the terrain is going to look like in three months or six months whether it's vaccination, non-vaccination, whether it's a new pandemic, you know, we just don't know. And um, I work with a lot of psychotherapists uh, in my thesis clinic practice. And what I'm hearing every day is that there is now a pervasive sense of anxiety in the country that's qualitatively different than the one that was here pre-COVID. So there is always a level of, of societal and personal anxiety. But I think the COVID-19 thing has dramatically increased what that is on every level. People losing their jobs, people on less money, companies like ourselves having built up 11 years and then companies not dealing with us back because they're dealing with bigger companies. You know, it's it's a very worrying and worrying some time. So, uh, I mean, one of my psychotherapist friends yesterday uh, was going to take a break for the day and go out into Black Rock for a swim. Mm -hmm. And it was really interesting what she said. She wasn't going there for the swim per se. She was going there for the shock factor of the Atlantic water when she got in, you know. So um, that idea that you see on the Internet from, from Vin and on, on coldness. So all of us, I think, are responding um, in different ways. And, and I suppose trying to look after our, our mental health, maybe in a way that, that we didn't. Yeah. So do you think the pandemic is going to have a... a a severe long-term effect on people's mental health, whether it be that they're more aware of it. Do you think it's going to just put shine a light on maybe people realize, oh, this is what lonely feels like. This is this is not just me, you know, being 
whatever like do you think it's going to make people more acutely aware of themselves it is but the difficulty is that that everything is as it was pre the pandemic so people are all getting cancer on a daily basis people are still homeless people are still drug addicted there are still single mothers living in places that are unfit for them and their children you know there are people losing their jobs i could go on and on and mm-hmm. um, you know, things have accelerated and at the same time, things have telescoped. So there is there is a, a daily chat about mental health. Whether or not services are given more money and are given more resources is, is an entirely different debate. So mm-hmm. on the one hand, it's a really good thing that people are becoming more and more aware. On the other hand, if people become more and more aware, as Shakespeare said, they have a set of expectations and there is nothing that brings one down more than having unmet expectations. Yeah. So can I just jump in there for um, Oshin actually has a great story there. Before pre-pandemic, um, Oshin was actually stuck in a rush of doing things. He would work basically a nine to five job and he would be in this rush where he'd come home and he'd sit at the telly in front yeah. of modern technology. And I think this story is brilliant. This was published in the third volume. And I'm going to go to Oshin, I think, and bring him in here because it's important. This is a, a great story with a great um, long-term knowledge of what can what can someone achieve if they put their mind uh, to it. So, so, thanks, thanks, Chris. Um, look, look, just on, on the pandemic, firstly, before I tell that story, um, it's very important for, for me personally. It's forced me to make decisions uh, in my life and look at myself. I think for some people, it has been like a mirror uh, to look at yourself and kind of not being looking at external uh, social media or other things, but say, okay, um, am I where I want to be, where I need to be to be the safest, best version of, of me, which has caused me to say, okay, you know what? I need to move back to Galway. Not, I wouldn't have made that decision. Um, if this didn't happen and for that when, when we're when it's safe to do when we're out the other side i'm going back to galway with my family you know so yeah. and I, I i've spoken to numerous people like that said yeah it, it's got me thinking i need to change jobs i need to do this i need to so it has no not been like that for everyone there's some people who are very stuck where they are uh, but a lot of people as well it, it's caused change and um, the story Chris is referring to is I was back in Galway for six months in 2019. And every day was, as Chris des- described, I would get up at uh, seven, go to work at nine, come back and sit on a couch. And literally, I'd have my phone, my laptop in my lap, uh, an iPad. And uh, this was uh, during there was some uh, election going on. And uh, next thing, one one evening, a politician uh, rang the the doorbell. I mean, I had I, I had such a routine, and it was a tea and a you know a biscuit and a Kit Kat and all, but it was just screens everywhere and the telly over there with Netflix on. So it was telly Netflix. We had the work on my laptop. I had Twitter open here on my iPad and the phone, whatever emails scrolling down, and um, I could have been on the couch from seven till eleven like that after doing a full day's work, you know. And I, I think if people are honest with themselves, they'll relate to that. It's you know we we've just got into that screen time so one evening the doorbell rings and uh it nearly frightened me uh, <laughs> uh that I, so much that i jumped up spilled the tea laptops went went onto the floor everything went flying by the time i got out to the door 
the person had gone, gone it was a politician, uh, they left their leaflet. Anyways, I was so angry, but didn't know what that anger was about. I just went out the door, grabbed my jacket keys and went walking. And that day I walked 10 kilometers. And when I walked, I, I needed, you know, it, it was like, it was just this one moment, one action of someone ringing the doorbell and, and spilling the tea everywhere. And um, I went and I walked out basically from, from Well Park out to the prom and back around by Newcastle. It was 10 kilometers. And that just happened to be the first of May. And I decided, you know what, I'm going to do 10K every day. And on that walk, I, I always knew on the last day, it'd be the last day of 10K. But mm. I did know it was important that I needed to do something the next month and the next month and the next month. So it became a, a personal journey of discovering things I want to do. Uh, uh, one month it was the walking. The next month it was writing. The next month it was exercise. The next month it was swimming. Uh, you know, and it, what I realized with it, and I'm going to bring it on to the uh, chapter I wrote for, for, for the current volume is we all have tribes. And what I mean by my, my, my volume is basically called uh, finding my, my capoeira tribe. We all have tribes, which we base around our hobbies, our social interactions, our what we do daily. So we have our work tribe. Uh, for me, uh, Book Hub uh, Publishing is my writing tribe. Um, I, as Chris would know, I'm involved in music as well, and I have my music tribe, but then I have my family tribe. But what I learned on this journey, doing them 10K a day, uh, what I learned over that, what would that be, three, 330 uh, uh, kilometers was, if you don't have the tribe of one right, which is yourself, there, you bring that imbalance in, in, into your other tribes. You know, I mean, I, I had walks where I would be listening to music, walks where I was having self-conversations. And I can tell you, and I'll say right out, I had walks where from the moment I left the house to the moment I got back was just a flood of tears. You know, uh, I wasn't losing weight from the, <laughs> from the walking. I was, it was all the water leaving my body. And it was just something that had to happen. You know, it was a, uh, I didn't see it as good or bad or, oh, what's wrong with me? I, I just let it, I needed to get out and get away. And then I'd have other days where I made conscious decisions. Hey, don't bring the phone. Don't just just go, you know. Um, and I think now that would be my default. Um, I suppose thinking, you know, I love to be on my own in a coffee shop and writing, or also to be uh, with people, uh, with Nile, or with my music, or with my family. But I, I, I mean, it's a label as such. But I, th I think it's a healthy to say, well. Which tribe am I with today? You know, yeah. connecting with today. I'm connecting with me, just me. I need this moment. Or today, it's connecting with the uh, our, our book hub publishing tribe. And it gives you a sense of belonging. But it's also, it helps you realize you're connecting with um, like-minded people. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, uh, you know, it's, it's very much... I had a conversation with Niall, maybe just going back three years ago, where... You know, uh, I said, Jesus, no, I don't feel part of the club. I remember, yeah. you remember that? And, um, family, you said the family. Yeah, yeah. But Niall made a point, you know. Uh, I mean, that was really between my ears and what I was thinking, mm -hmm. you know. Um, I'm very much 
part of that family and it's one of my tribes. It's something I love. And that's the key. Do you love being with them people? And why I went on, I'm going to, I'm going to go back to the, uh, the other book of doing something every, every month. And it's something I continue to do. I don't do it every month, but I really think, you, you know, yeah, I try and to bring one new thing into your uh, life. There's so many online courses. I'm just after finishing an online course in negotiation. I did one in marketing and I've lined up another one for January. You know, that's one thing you can do when you're on your own. And it's a way to find it. There's so many courses online. They're free. They, they're, they're communities. Uh, it may not be what you have ever thought or seen yourself as doing. Another tribe of mine is magic. I love magic, coin magic and card magic. I'm not good at it, but I enjoy trying the tricks. And, uh, and I'm in some groups. And from time to time, I'll hop into that world. Mm-hmm. Um, the capoeira, which I wrote about, I don't do anymore, but my kids go to capoeira. And when I go down there, I very much feel part of that world. And, you know, I, I know the songs and I still have my uniform and I'm hoping my, my um, mestre from Galway, who I told I'm coming back to Galway, has already opened his door. And to have someone open their door and say, Ushin, when you're back, come down to the club and uh, do a session. You know, yeah. and, and that's what knowing your tribe does, you know, and we all have tribes, but start with yourself. Yeah, that's um, that's very powerful. Uh, well, it is, to, it is to me anyway. I uh, yeah, I think when lockdown one first happened, it was very much life just stopped. And I think that kind of uh, outlook on it of, you know, try one has to be good in order for everything else to function, really. And that's a that's that's a very positive kind of way to 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 look at it. Um, Oshin, I, I, yeah. 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 And, and, and another thing that's important and, and when I'm a lot of my books, I approach it from the point of view, OK, uh, what can I give? to help someone reading this. And my reason for that is I've gone through a lot of the same things like Chris. We've all, well, I've experienced bullying and, and my moments of depression. And like the moment I described, although I put a happy twist on it, but that moment on the couch and being in that kind of slum of digital slum and work. Um, but I, I really believe what I think when I look at these books, it's, it's about, you know what, when I was between the age of 14 and maybe 25, you know, that dim, furry, fragile, but, but, but great, what should be great years of, of secondary school or college or your early 20s and you're still learning. Yeah. And when you have a moment where it's just not working, that you can turn to a book, Abe, that you can see, I can relate to this. Yeah. This person went through the same thing. And B, here's what I can do about it. Here, here, here's something I can try. You know, it, it, it's uh, like, I didn't have anything like that when I was a teenager. It was very much, the, there was no internet for a starter. And there was certainly, if I went to Easton's, I wouldn't have found a book that would, I would find where I would find peers who are a generation that was just above me by a couple of years that have, or were going through the same thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, no, it's just amazing how, um, we we are creatures of habit and we can get stuck in a rut and i i've always liked oshin's story about you know being in that particular rut of doing the same thing day in and day out and turn it into a complete positive mm-hmm. and i know I, i'm actually going to pass over to john here if you don't mind me doing this for a second because 
John and Phil Noon have wrote chapters about habitat formation and via social media are the same thing. We are creatures of habit and it's just like you and I, Lisa and Liam, we all have that tribe in sense of we work in so we're constantly around social media. We're constantly around, you know, in, in our workplace, we deal with radio, we deal with out in the open people and we actually put ourselves forward. And I say this in my chapter, I throw myself in the deep end from being bullied and being a target to letting people, you know, comment on your your least little thing, whether it be a certain word you say backward or the way you look slightly. It, it all has different effects. And it bullying always kind of like is in the gaping corner, let's say, because that is what it is. But if you have certain little habits, it can help for a while, but it's important that we don't, you know, you don't stick in that habit. And John, you write great in volume four about this. So I'm going to pass over to you. Yeah, I, I, it's um, social media. It's 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 mad, really. I think, um, and I mean, I suppose you're kind of touching on a lot of stuff there, Chris. All right, really good stuff. Um, but it's what it just it just made me think of one thing in particular. Um, if you put up something, we'll say anything on social media, right? And let's just say it happens to be a reasonably popular post. Like, I mean, just for, we'll say, the regular Joe blogs. I mean, I'm not talking about, you know, thousands and thousands of likes or something like that, right? And, you know, with the with the different reactions as well. I mean, you've got your love hearts, you've got your care, you've got your thumbs up um, and the laugh then as well, right? And you could get 50 or 60 of those. You might get one angry one or you might get one negative one. And right, with all the good stuff that happens, what do you focus on? Or what does the regular one one human being, right? They will go towards the negative because they just, you know, it's that it's that thing. Why does that one person have a problem with me? You might have another 59 people. If you could have 60 interactions, we'll say on it. And 59 of them are great or fantastic. You go, you, you know, fair play to you and that kind of stuff. And then you have one negative and you will dwell on that. That is the one thing. And I think I think we all do it um, in a kind of a voyeuristic way as well. You know, um... there's a reason why that that happens. And this to me is the, the darker side of social media. And that's where all these huge companies employ neuropsychologists and neurolinguists yep. in their development of their apps. And the reason why we all fo- I mean, the psychological reason why we all tend to focus on that one comment that we don't like is because and we talk about habit formation, but the part of the brain that's activated, you know, that releases endorphins when we feel good about ourselves is all those love hearts and likes and thumbs up. But that endorphin doesn't get released when we see that negative comment. And so it's actually it's a deep, deep-seated brain-enhanced physiological response to something in addition to the whole social learning and need for belonging. So I think not enough attention at all is given to how and why and whom is involved in the development of all of these apps and who is, you know, so for example, if you, if you type in something in Ireland, a specific question on Google, right, you'll get an answer. But if you type in the same question in France, you'll get a different answer to the same question and the same in the States and the same in, in, uh, in South Africa, because the answers are moderated by very succinct algorithms across the internet. Yeah. And 
like we live we live so much of our lives on social media now funny enough not everybody does lisa susan here doesn't live on social media there's a few people in the book hub community that have actively chosen not to be you know 24 7 accessible on their social media and at some stage i want to do a study of of the people that use social media all the time versus the people that don't in terms of their their patterns of wellness and well-being and there's already lots of exploratory research out there that says that you the short-term effect of feeling good with all those likes and positive emojis actually is outweighed by the sense of of dreaded negativity that one might get from somewhere else so there's a lot of really interesting things going on out there yeah um like I do I'd say a lot of us could could relate with that like I I personally am very envious of the fact that you can take a break from social media because I know personally I am a devil for being on social media but it's like Chris said like we live our lives vicariously through social media because our field is all about self-promotion and you have to always seem to appear to be the positive the best side of yourself the this the this the that and it's very like it's it's draining. Like I, I'd say, mm-hmm. Chris and Liam could both relate to this. And yeah, as as well, like yeah, wh- when it comes to like as a radio, you have to have the news up, so you have to be constantly checking that. You have to kind of always be right, like right on the kind of the cutting edges stuff as well at the same time, which unfortunately means troll, you know, trolling through endless and endless amounts of really? posts and scroll, just constantly scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. And it just, it does get draining. And yeah, the endorphins do fire off, but like it's, oh. Yeah. I, I, like, yeah. If I could do without it, I would. But, mm. you know. Yeah, like I, like I personally, I really relate to the whole concept of when you get the like, it's it's brilliant, but it's the dread. Like when you're talking about the dread of, oh, if someone doesn't like this what's it going to feel like I like I was PRO for Radio Sock last year and I and I run my own show as well but I I I've been doing radio for three years nearly and I still get that read the post 10 times then you can figure out if someone is going to pick up something or get offended or feel horrible or do whatever and then I will I will blame myself or I like I I send something to about five people before and I go is this okay and to very ranges of people like an aunt my mother my brother you know like different age groups to make sure that no one can look at it and go oh like that's that's very bad and that's not great like it's it's a horrible way to live and I think especially like our generation like I'm in I like we're both you're 21 aren't you Liam yeah yeah like like it's very much in our in our everyday lives I just can't see get away from it and like with the pandemic I don't know whether all of you kind of noticed this or whether because of that algorithm you only seem to get a certain amount mm. of posts from different from people mm. and it all just seemed to be like every day was people were pushed to because they were so isolated to lash out at a post at someone like like I, I've witnessed threads and stupidly like I, I, I read it like I shouldn't because it's negative and that's not a good thing to put into your own day but it's just that, like people seem to have gotten, you know, overly positive in a lot of ways, but then just seem to want to stream negative. Very vicious. Well, very like, vicious. Like, often, very vicious. Yeah. Like, like to the point of going on someone's page and picking out, like, like you said, Chris, like flaws or something you've said. Like I remember quite vividly someone calling into flirt to say that I had said a word wrong, hmm. and it doesn't seem like a like a big thing. But it's only when someone says it to you that you go, 
oh my god am I saying that I've always said it like that is that wrong and then, then you're constantly doing this and it took one of the guys in far to go Lisa it's not the biggest deal in the world like it's like you know no. it's not like the world is coming on top of you but it was just such a small thing and it's you know, it's. I know it's all about you know reaction to it as well, but it's um it's a strange time, and I think if like social media isn't both very positive, like with last night with that five million that was raised, that like that sharing of p- immense positivity from all around the world for for the toy show is a great thing. But then like it just seems to be layered with like the the scandals and the what are the social media heroes of oh it's a it's a conspiracy. Like, it, it just seems to be... Can I ask a question of everybody just on this? And it's kind of a curiosity, but it kind of it, it kind of it kind of fleshes out a little bit more than, um, I suppose, uh, what we're talking about. Um, do you ever go into Twitter? Um, and, right, we'll see something now. There might be some... Uh, and I actually did it this morning anyway. And I was kind of looking at some of the posts around um, that young guy who was really interested in space last night, mm-hmm. anyway. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, 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 Chris Haddon is it Haddonfield um, that yeah, famous yeah. astronaut anyway yeah he replied anyway but do you ever find yourself scrolling 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 and then just at the bottom you see the thing see more replies and usually those ones are the ones that are the most toxic yeah. the most um, bullying actually as well I mean okay I know I do it and I, I know I shouldn't do it but I do it you know, it's a bad habit. I'm just, okay, out of the seven people here who are here, I'm just wondering how many other people do it, you know, and like, just be honest for a second. I mean, do we all do it in some ways? I, here before? I, I do. I, I do it, John. I, you yeah. know, I, and, it, you know, it's real tabloid stuff looking yeah. for, looking to feed that part of you that doesn't need it. Actually, I'm thinking as I'm listening to you, that needs to be something for a month. Just get off social for a month. It, could not do any harm for anyone in the world to just give it a rest. There's a challenge, um, and it's a challenge for Liam and Lisa in particular, and to a lesser extent, Chris. And there's a concept in psychology called vicarious trauma. And vicarious trauma is where you get affected badly by something that's happened to somebody else, right? Okay. And Liam, if you're, mm. if you're to scroll through all these news sites and news channels, and mostly the news is bad, you know, when you look at news, They've several times around the world, they've tried to establish um, positive only radio stations, positive only news sheets, and they don't work because for all sorts of reasons. Um, what we've done in the Mental Health Millennial series now is at the end of each chapter, there are takeaways and nuggets, right? So that people read a story and then they hopefully get a nugget. So a challenge for, for Lisa and Liam is to, um, when you scroll through your 10 news sites and you're seeing all the kind of stuff that you are, that you actively go to look for something else, right? Yeah. So Oshin is talking about doing something for months. So how I start my morning every morning is by is by watching a positive TED talk, right? A different country, different system, different person, different story. I'm just not interested in negativity. I'm not interested in in you know that side of things. I, I want to start the day in the frame of mind that I'm ease into the day. Enough negativity will come our ways. But there are ways in which we can control it. So I don't think per se you have to come off social media. I think it's to be much more um, mindful, you know, to use that term around what we will uh, look at. So to answer John's question, and no, I don't look at any of those comments, John. I just don't go into a space 
where I feel people are bringing down other people anymore. It's I just find it utterly toxic and and, and I I rarely use it to be honest. I use mine mm-hmm. for that's it, and I don't go into anybody else's because kind of like that. It was taking up too much time. Time that really didn't really make any difference to me what I was reading in my life it was just purely okay you're reading it that's great so um yeah I cut it out I just do the what I need for work and that's it if I want to talk to somebody I pick up the phone and ring them and that's kind of the way the way I operate with it or I text them or whatever but I don't I, I filter yeah them. and I would just like to pick up there from what Sue said actually the fact that I'm I'm a bit old school like that considering I'm only in my mid-20s I'm only the same thing I like to pick up the phone and chat to people and to answer John's question there as well my answer is sometimes sometimes I do it and sometimes I don't um it depends on the post if I'm really engaged in the post then I would go full in depth but if I ain't too bothered I just scroll past it um that that's really what I normally would do but I would like to pick up on um, a method that Megan Scully has who's also a broadcaster um, and she's with the mental health millennials as well. And she has this cut off point where she puts her phone on flight mode from, let's say, I think it's nine or 10 o'clock yeah, in the nine. evening. And she just has everything switched off. No emails, no nothing, no Facebook. And she does that religiously. I've chatted to her personally and, and out, on and off air about this. And it's, it's amazing how a, a big impact that can have and you're mm. not don't you're not great idea yeah it really is you're, you're not inundated with different stuff and it's that complete get away from it which is important and um susan did write in a thing where in the the latest volume four of mental health millennials that you just let go of certain things and like that if you read something that's very malicious it can have a big impact and like you like john said as well that that grumpy emoji or angry emoji mm. that the, the that thing you focus on you really have to have a stiff neck and that's something i learned to get the hard way it's not a case of someone just saying look never mind it move on you anything you do in regards to that you have to have a stiff neck i believe and you'll le- always learn it the hard way as well but it's always for the good it might seem bad in a particular moment but it's the look of the draw for some people. It was for me. Yeah. Chris, do you not think, you know, you, you say there, and I, you're scrolling down via Twitter, Instagram, whatever, and you, you, you're, you know, if you're not interested, don't, don't look at it. At the end of the day, your brain is still seeing whatever you're scrolling, uh, scrolling past. It's still feeding in all this muck. Uh, it, you know, unless you have a furry, clean, small cohort of uh, topics you're following, you know, yeah. Uh, you're still seeing the stuff you don't want to see, even if you're scrolling past and your brain is still taking in all that. That's the same way, Oshin. Yeah. I mean, it's this is part of the millennial and the and the the, the Gen Z dilemma, right? That mm-hmm. that if you walk into your local news agency, you'll see there's 20 different newspapers. You all of us actively make a choice not to buy those newspapers or not to read them, right? Depending on our yeah. general set of preferences, right? So, you know. It's the same with social media. None of us have to be on social media. Now, Bar, Bar Lisa and, and Liam and Chris to different extents. But even, even with you guys, you know, you don't have to be on it all the time. When you've done your job or you've done your research or you've set up your show, then you can leave it. I think really it goes back to what was said earlier on by John. It's about habit formation. It's just habit first that we go on. And I, I'm 
totally to blame myself. You know, it's the habit. The real issue is to try and break that habit. And if we're not on social media, we can't even see the good or the bad. We actually get back out and engage with people. I had a really interesting experience where I was driving my niece, who's 19, up to my house. And she'd got her phone, a new phone. And I said, oh, um, drop me your number so I can, I can call you. And, and she kind of looked at me totally shocked. And she goes, I don't know what my number is, actually. And come to think of it, I've not called anybody on my phone and no one has called me. I never talk on my phone. I only ever do Snapchat or whatever it is, you know? And, and that's true. Like the, yeah. the gener- Down with the kids, Niall. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. yeah, yeah. Generations, you know, communicate differently. And, and that's the thing is to, is to try and be part of, of understanding, you know, how and why people want to communicate. And Oshin, you, you, you used a word there at the end of your talk on your finding your Kopera tribe is, you know, belonging, you use the word belonging, right? And to me, um, the seven books in the mental health millennials, as I see them, the, the fundamental thread that runs through all those is belonging, right? Human beings as a species have an innate cellular DNA need to belong to something bigger than themselves, an existential need. And, you know, that's Lisa answering your original question. That's what we hope with the series, right? That, yeah. that it, it allows people to have a sense of belonging. That's all the contributors that are involved in the series. And then people who read the books have a sense of belonging by finding similar stories and similar people. Yeah. yeah. What's, re- what's really interesting uh, about as well, um, I was never on Instagram until um, it was this June 2019. I was at a conference. It was a music conference with my music tribe over in Cannes in, in, in France. There, it's a big conference for record companies and, and distributors and publishers. And next thing, I had business cards, you know, and uh, next thing, well, you know, I'd be talking to somebody and uh, I'd give them my card and I'd say, well, I get your number. I don't know. Just send me a message on Instagram. And I was going, I'm not on it. And they're going, what? Yeah. <laughs> what? So uh, it's kind of culture has forced me to be on it, you know, because I always said before, you know, I'm on Twitter and Facebook. That's enough. But, you know, my hand was forced, you know, so what's coming down the line? I could be forced again Mm -hmm. as a form of communication. And now that is how I um, talk to. um, There is a few people that I would communicate through Instagram, just messaging, you know, they find it easy. So I kind of go, okay, well, this is how they communicate. So I communicate on their platform yeah. i can see you being on tiktok Oshin, and keeping up with the latest dances next <laughs> not gonna happen chris not gonna happen <laughs> damn i pay good money for it as well <laughs> well actually Oshin, now that like that you say that like that is a huge thing now that companies have had to cope with is that yeah everything is being nearly pushed on you like it used to be email me te- like call me whatever but this whole thing of they have to be on it because you're seeing that you're as a you're at a disadvantage as a company if you're not opening yourself up on these social media platforms and to be actively giving away this or showing that or you know like to be active like i i personally didn't have an instagram account until i had a show account for for the radio yeah. and most people my yeah. age were like you're not on instagram and i'm like yeah no like I don't see it, but like I and my I now have a personal Instagram, but it's mostly my dogs, and mm. like that that is that is literally it. But it's such a, a a void, like it's seen as a void if you don't actively engage in social media. And at the end of the day, like I 
I would rather do the business cards thing because then at least you're you you get a better scope maybe or or something I, I like I, I still have to push myself to go it's not unreasonable to text them on Instagram because in the back of my head I'm going yeah like, it, <laughs> it feels very informal even though it's not really anymore uh, yeah but it, here's a funny thing you guys are you know uh three of you there are you know involved in radio and media which is, which is a really cool thing uh, I think uh so I work for a waste management company uh not not a sexy industry you know and really one would think well why would you be on instagram who wants to see a picture of a truck or rubbish or you know but the amount of customers communicating through that channel you know we've had to rethink our call center to have social media not just a social media person but a social media team to make sure there's a good response time and you know uh, so we we've started as a business to look at that as Okay, you had email, you have, you used to have fax, you know, you have email, you have the phone, it's an extension, you know, and it's not, the extension isn't social media, the extension is Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Yeah. And I would just like to say as well there, what Oshin is saying, yeah, every person has to have their own brand on something. Now, for those of you that don't know, I work on Flirt doing um, specialist interviews with bands and artists, and it could be a comedian or any anyone that has a talent basically comes on the show. And um, Ushi knows from coming on my show and Niall and everyone else that no matter what you do, you have to follow the trend. Mm-hmm. It's it's like keeping up with the Kardashians oh. on telly. There's always no. something different. It really is, and it's it, it's and it's bizarre. And I'm always there on the station, and I feel like a bloody parrot. You know, you can find them on Facebook, you can find them on TikTok, you can find them on all the usual social mm-hmm. media. I feel like a parrot, but people would think they automatically know this, but some people don't think that. Like so, exactly what Oshin said there just because he works with a waste management, well, why shouldn't he be on? You know, if he wants to be on it, then great. You know, you open your world up to that level of social media, no matter what platform it is. But you're, you're committed to going on to this to keep promotion. And you're, you're driven because it's kind of the trend. And I think keeping with the trends can be dangerous and can be good. But you really have to find that perfect balance. You do. You definitely do. Yeah, I, 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 I kind of, I, I totally get what you're saying, Chris. Like you're, you're constantly, well, well, I don't know about the, but us on radio are constantly at a battle to keep to what other people are doing and to better it. Like it's never, you're, you're, well, I don't, I'm never happy until it's better. And I could read, write and rewrite something 10 times until I know that it's the best product that could go out. And that's a very dangerous way to live with with social media is that it has to be perfect because at the end of the day, we're not perfect creatures. Life wouldn't be interesting if everyone was perfect. But it's that constant pressure of showing yourself to be, you know, the best at responding to messages, like you said, Oshin, and the best at... Um, mm self-plugging and the best person to be seen to be doing giveaways and the best person to be seen to be I don't know getting more followers in a week or you know it's a constant like you know on on your psyche no matter you know if you're on the social medias at that time or not like it's a constant companion um 
in terms of stress and anxiety. And I don't think it's um, a coincidence that young people especially are feeling the brunt of that. Like it's it's very much a part of everyone's lives. Like the, the, the I wouldn't personally know about TikTok myself because I, I just, no one wants to see me dance. It's just not a thing. Like you just really don't. Um, and I, I like I've had little kids go, you're not on TikTok and you're just like, you're 10, you know, it's, it's, what are you doing on TikTok? <laughs> yeah, it really, it really shows like how, how much it's become like a, you know, Frisbee the phone and like the kids can use phones better than like my, my, my little cousins can use my, my phone better than I can. And I'm like, okay. And it's all about TikTok. So social media really drives, like you're talking about trends, like TikTok started off as a really small thing and now it's been swept into a whirlwind of it's everywhere like it was even on the toy show yeah but you know what's scary right i was walking down the road here one day and i'm kind of like in a little cul-de-sac area as i leave my estate and there's you know there's local kids on the street now there's there is kind of like a few years younger than me and then there's the really younger ones and like you said there lisa like they are so absorbed with social media and i know everyone's kind of touched on this john i know sheena lean but i was literally talking to them completely out of natural thing where they're out kicking the ball which was great to see by the way rather than being stuck inside now this was one day during the summer and they were out of school because of the first stage of lockdown. Yeah. And I said, I'm sure you're bored in watch- watching videotapes all the time. And I mean to say this, this kid looked at me and he turned his head around and looked at me as if the exorcist had just entered him. <laughs> what the hell is a video? You know, like a videotape. He just looked at me. And I went, oh, Jesus, in my head. I was like, I'm old. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I'm getting old here. Like this terminology of... They're like, what's a video? Uh, Is it a tape? Or, you know, and I had to explain that it's, you know, DVD, Netflix, movies. <laughs> I can go one better. I had a, I had an incident there not too, not too recent, not too long ago. Somebody didn't realize what a DVD was because it was so brand, because um, the technology was, um, yeah, kind of, uh, what's the word? It was just kind of out of date. I oh, didn't know Lord. what a DVD <laughs> was. But can I go and ask another question here? Because I mean, it's just something that, it's something that always comes into my mind as well. Are people familiar? Do you remember, um, I suppose, what we're talking about the necessity and the habit forming of social media? Do people remember uh, a movie called The uh, the Truman Show? With Jim oh, Jim? Yeah, Jim Curry. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Do you remember the very end of that, right? Because there was a lot of people thinking, oh, what will everybody do now once it's over? And it was one scene uh, where I think it was a security guard or something, but he would happen to be watching it anyway in his booth in his own space away. Um, and um, like it was over and everybody was kind of wondering, oh, what will happen next? And he just switched over the channel and got on with his life. So, I mean, I'm going to ask the question here. If for whatever reason, social media just disappeared in the morning, would we be the same in that regard? We, we just switch over and find something else to do. Or are we that reliant on it that it would be such a you know um a, a life-changing thing i suppose because if, if it's such a habit and if you have such reliance on it what would happen then if it just went gone i would it's probably been... freak <laughs> to be honest i would probably freak because 
any work that I have done, I've used it as a CV. Uh, and Lisa would have done this as well. And I'm sure Oshin and Liam, to a certain degree, that we are now living in an online world. And Niall, you know, he did say that all these books are going digitally and all this kind of stuff. And Oshin's latest book is all digital. And any artist out there that's listening musically, whether it's comedy or, or singing or whatever the case may be, a lot of people have uploaded their stuff and they've built an online library. And it's something that's accessible, of course, very, very easy, which is great. But like to think that the work is going to be zapped from nowhere. If we were to go back to old school tapes, let's say again, I would absolutely freak because you would have <laughs> yeah. to start from scratch. You know, you really would. But um, I think I would cope. It would take a lot of... Um, swear jars to be filled first from my point of view but i think it would eventually work it would take a lot of time but we'd get there yeah yeah there'd there'd have to be an adjustment period all right because it becomes so intertwined with like business and like uh chris just said there you know people's whole people have built whole music careers on sharing their uh, stuff on social media so like there would definitely have to be a kind of a transitionary period where people kind of, okay, they, they built up more kind of physical copies. But then I think eventually people would probably just kind of get on with it. But like it, it, it would, ha- there would have to be some, you know, uh, you know, things would have to be moved around quite a bit. To, to, to answer to what I think, is, I think it's a great question. I've often thought about if the internet broke, you know, yeah. Uh, I, th- I think it'd be a great day. I, I think eventually, <laughs> yeah, I th- certainly th- th- there'd be a readjustment, but I think people's communication skills within their community, because you can't reach over to the guy that's on the other side of the world, which, you know, that's, that is an advantage of, of, of the social media. You can commu- I was communicating with, with people in Nashville this morning, mm-hmm. and that's brilliant. But what would happen now, my focus would probably become more local. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think the world would be a little bit more insular as well, you know, to a degree, we'd be back into our own little bubbles and not yeah. so looking outwards. So, but again, I, I mean, that would have its pros and cons too. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's benefits and drawbacks, pros and cons to, to every situation. I think the internet has really, the social media isn't the only thing on the internet uh, as well and not the only way to contact uh, people. Uh, and there's a difference. If you say to me, if we got rid of social media, that's one thing. Yeah. But if you got rid of the internet, well, <laughs> oh, well yeah, that's a, so, that's a whole other. So, so, so that's a whole other thing. But what's interesting, what uh, just to, to go back on one thing you were saying, Lisa, about getting everything perfect, you know, it reminded me of when I did my first book back in 2018. I'll never forget getting an email from a, a good friend of mine to say, hey, I found three typos. And it was like, <laughs> it was like my world just collapsed, yeah. you know. Yeah. Now, if it, 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 the great thing about now is if I find a typo now in my new book or someone finds a typo, I'll have a laugh of it and I can go back in it and I can actually change it. And that's it. End the story. It's part of life. You get typos. You know, I'm, I'm not, I did go through that. Oh, wreck my head to get it perfect. You know, uh, and there's a danger of that leading to anxiety to have it so you can only do your best, exactly. you know, and leave it at that and put it out there. And if someone comes back and say, oh, by the way, you know, that's misspelled. The good thing about publishing now is, uh, so I did a print run of 200 
for, for the bookshops in, in Ireland. And then it, it's online digitally. I can change digitally like that. The print run is there. And you know what? If there's a, look, we went through it. Hopefully there's no typos, but there probably is. And if there is, so what? You know? It's a limited edition. It, yeah, it, that's, exactly, yeah. It's like someone having, um, you know, a, a freckle on their nose. It's just, that's it, you know. Um, and even, I've often read books where I've, you know, uh, where I have where I find typos. I don't think, I just move on, you know. Yeah, no one cares. It's, no one cares. It, I think it's we're past the, the fact of that everything has to be very perfect because who is perfect? Nobody is perfect, you know. And even back in the days where things were sent, you know, by post and dare I say it for the older listener or the older group carrier pigeon. Do you know what I mean? It, it's like it doesn't matter. Something's going to happen in transit no matter what, you know. So there's, there's always going to be something. It's like when you order a parcel from a well-known auction site, you, it, it's, it leaves the office intact and it can come in. It could be slightly damaged. You mightn't need to return it because it could be just a book that's slightly dented or a bit of plastic cracked on a CD case. It's it's material things. It doesn't matter once yeah. you know you get the point across, right. and that's the main thing, you know. And people will yeah. always find a flaw somewhere, no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think even if we think back there over the last two days as well, where um, we had the um, the uh, death of Diego Maradona. Mm-hmm. Now I would say that ninety nine percent of what was put out there, you know, was you know rest in peace, great man, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But but of course there was you know a small cohort of people who just said no, sure he had a cocaine <laughs> issue or you know and the other things as well so i mean they'll nearly have a list of all the, yeah, the negatives if you, around. if you can find me a person out there who is flawless anyone out there who is utterly Donald flawless Trump. <laughs> well of course <laughs> exceptional of course but i mean if we can if, if anybody could find me one person out there who has done trojan efforts in whatever field or even mm. in their own life and you tell me that they don't have a single flaw, well, then I will give you all my money, which isn't a whole lot, by the way, but still, <laughs> you're welcome to it if you can find that person for me, because but, that person does not exist. But it's yeah. amazing, you know, just speaking of, of things that are even put up on social media and mistakes and stuff. Now, I think it was just the, probably people can often, you know, let's go back to word of mouth for a second here, where... Let's, for instance, Donald Trump, right? He is advised million and one things a day, more than likely. And what he does is what he does. We won't even go into the argument or what, whatever. But he's been told stuff all the time in his ear. You know, there's news updates. It's like that. He necessarily can't be on social media, but he did go on social media. And I don't know if any of you saw the tweet. Now, I think it was deleted since, but there is a screenshot of the tweet going around. And it's... When the news, like you just said there, John, about Maradona, the news of that, he turned around and said, I'm, I'm so um, saddened to hear the, the death of Maradona. I listened to the music in the 80s and it was absolutely fantastic. And obviously, you know who I'm talking about here. He, he got it mixed up with Madonna. And I, I'm, I would have loved, I didn't get to see any reaction. I don't know if there is one or what, but... Oh, brilliant. That there was a reaction to this, and um, I'd love to know what Madonna had said back to this. <laughs> Do you know? I think she wasn't too pleased. <laughs> no, but no, this is it. You know, sometimes we can interpret things. So, 
you know, in a different way and we mightn't hear it correctly. And then you kind of think, oh, it did register properly. And that's just word of mouth. So whatever, if it's written down or whatever, you know, that's kind of my, it's, it was a great tweet. And I'm going to frame the tweet screenshot, if I'm going to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's inter- interesting there, Chris. A, a topic that you talk about celebrities. Uh, with, with the yes, you have people like Donald Trump that's uh, that's on Twitter and whatnot. I I had the um, fortune to have a meeting with the head of Warner Music in in Madrid, and I was brought into their office, and they had one team that they introduced me to, which was their social media uh, team, and it was like so. This is uh, so and so, and they look after. Uh, you know, Enrique Iglesias' account and they look after Justin's account. And a lot of these celebrities aren't on social media, but would have people look, they would have a team uh, looking after their account. And, you know, Lady Gaga, all these guys, uh, they live their life without social media. Now, you might have the argument, well, if I have their money, I'd have a team as well looking after my social media. <laughs> if you, I you had know, their but... money, I'd, I'd be living in the Costas del Sol somewhere, being fanned every five seconds, presenting a radio show from the beach. <laughs> well, I, I, got the first, I got the first part of your dream right. I'm living the first part of your dream. <laughs> <laughs> Lucky you, Oshin. <laughs> So, Lisa, thank you so much for the invitation to well, well, thank, thank you very much. Well, thank Chris, you very much, Niall. This has been, I can, I think I can speak for all of us. This has been a very, very interesting discussion and I, I, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Like, it's great to see other people's insights because at a time where we're all so disconnected, technically, it's great to feel connected through, through something so powerful as this. So I, I really wish you the best of luck. I know it's uh, the book thank came you. out on the 20th. Of November, yeah. so we um we will definitely plug it free and we will um promote it the life over because I think people need something like this in their lives. Yeah. And I, I promise, really promise that yourself and Liam will get a physical a copy of the book as soon as I get it by way of saying thank you for the invitation to participate. The first person to get a copy of the book is going to be Chris Sherlock because that man <laughs> well, he has, has to- been so good to us. Oh, yeah. and he's going to get the very first copy. So. And um, it's only right. Thank, yeah. Thank you very much for the invitation, Lisa, to participate. Thank you, Liam, for the technical work and Chris. And good to see John and Oshin. And it's been a great pleasure chatting to you today. Thanks a million for having me. Thanks Lovely. a million. Chris, good to talk, talk to you, Chris. Yeah. Thanks for coming on, Chris. It's been a real pleasure to be on. And, and thank you very much, Lisa, for having us. No bother. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. John, Liam, Chris. Always a pleasure. Bye. 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 Bye.